Kubrick's Universe, Episode 4, Filippo Olivieri. Real one. Our highly skilled team are focused on bringing you the optimal experience. experience. So many answers we may never know. Too many questions, get on with the show. Time for the chorus, only this bus. It's Cooper's Universe. It's Kubrick's Universe, the Stanley Kubrick Podcast. Dear Amelia, welcome back. Please call Michael Dubbin and say that I figure it out on the way home in the By car at 3 a.m. That we will have a full day shooting. Please look for my origin unless you are here. If someone has to For 30 years, I worked for him, with him, in his office or location in his house inside his apartment. I drove him. I took him to the studios. I took the actors to meet him. I took his daughters to school. I took care of his cats and dogs. I took his wife to art galleries and his parents around London. This is the last email pickup. I am very sad. I did so many things, met so many people. Every day it was something different, something new. He was my employer, but he was also my university. I couldn't have gotten through without you. He was my friend. He was really like a father. Dear Emilio, good luck. I will miss you. Love, Stanley. He was Stanley. Stanley Kubrick. Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in to a brand new episode of Kubrick's Universe. At the boards is Mr. So Handsome himself, our producer, Stephen Rigg. I'm your host and humble narrator, Jason Furlong. So we have for you today a great guest and a great guy. It's Filippo Olivieri. Now, Filippo is a writer and teacher of film theory, and is the leading expert on Stanley Kubrick in Italy. He collaborated with Kubrick's longtime driver and assistant, Emilio D'Alessandro, on Emilio's memoir, Stanley Kubrick and Me, 30 Years at His Side. Filippo was also one of the co-script writers on Alex Infaschelli's companion film, S is for Stanley. He's the founder and webmaster of Archivio Kubrick, one of the most comprehensive repositories of interviews, reviews, articles, photographs, and videos about Kubrick in one single place. Recently, at the Stanley Kubrick New Horizons conference held at the University of Bordeaux, he lectured on From Boy Genius to Barking Loon, an analysis of Stanley Kubrick's persona 
in American and English media. It's a real treat to have you with us today, Filippo. Thanks so much for being on Kubrick's Universe. Welcome. And thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure. The pleasure is all ours, I assure you. Um, weather is all, all right over there in Italy? Uh, actually, I'm in the UK now. I'm in Plymouth. You are? Yeah, so it's a beautiful afternoon. Uh, rarely, it's, uh, sometimes it gets uh, rainy, but today is a nice, beautiful uh, afternoon here in Plymouth, in Devon. Wonderful. I guess my first question would be, you know, we, we all have our own stories about uh, what drew us to Stanley Kubrick and how he kind of uh, became part of the fabric of our own lives, if you will, and when did our interest grow? So how, how and when, Filippo, did you first encounter the films mm -hmm. of Stanley? And when did you become uh, a fan, just a fan at first? When did that start for you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I was in high school. Uh, I was developing a strong interest in films, and I tried to watch as many of them as possible. And I rented VHS tapes, uh, you know, I recorded the films broadcasted late at night on television, the mm -hmm. thing that mm -hmm. a, a film buff would do in the 90s. And hmm. uh, it sounds like a, a century ago, but, uh, in <laughs> the, you know, it makes me feel a bit old, but uh, that's what we did in the 90s. And anyway, I, I think it was 2001 A Space Odyssey, the film that brought me to Kubrick, because mm. I remember I watched it and then I bought a book to read something about it. And by simply flipping through this book, I discovered that lots of the films that I had liked were in fact made by this director, Stanley Kubrick, which mm -hmm. I, knew, I knew nothing about. And uh, he also made The Shining, which uh, made a great impression on me when I saw it on television. Mm -hmm. And so I got uh, more and more interested in his work and then read another book and then another and then another. And then I tried to uh, watch his earlier films. I bought videotapes and uh, from that it, uh, it grew on me. That sounds very similar to uh, my experiences and a lot of us uh, who were VCR uh, kids, Filippo. Yeah. So I'm wondering what uh, uh, films of Kubrick's uh, you saw after 2001 and The Shining. Do you remember the order of uh, which? No, you... I don't remember the order. I remember I was very excited to <coughs> see Eyes Wide Shut because it was my first film. Uh, my first Kubrick film, I got the opportunity to see on the big screen when it opened mm -hmm. in 1999. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was watching uh, um, The Killing when I was at the, the university. I bought a, a tape. I also remember having seen A Clockwork Orange uh, during high school. When, you know, usually, uh, I don't know if it's something that it's, uh, it happens only in Italy or uh, in UK or in US uh, as well. But usually uh, every year or so, um, there is a sort of a um, uh, kind, benign revolution within uh, the classroom once a year around <laughs> November. So mm -hmm. uh, for a week, <laughs> the students get the opportunity to protest 
against the system and they organized the screening and they organized uh, discussions about uh, uh, books or films they are passionate about. <laughs> so I remember that when I was, I think, in uh, first grade or second or, or my second years, uh, my second year, sorry, uh, in my um, high school, I got the opportunity to see A Clockwork <clears throat> Orange when I was... Uh, not allowed to because I wasn't uh, 18 years uh, old. And so that was a kind of uh, something <laughs> of a forbidden thing. And uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I remember I remember I wasn't really impressed by A Clockwork Orange because uh, I knew that it was supposed to be a very shocking film, mm -hmm. a very violent film. Mm -hmm. And I found it uh, uh, more sort of a, an ironic tale mm. and so uh, yeah but these are my small experiences of uh, getting in touch with Kubrick's films uh, for the first time. That's interesting. Um, I don't believe that uh, we have anything at least in the public schools of United States that I'm aware oh, okay. of which is which, which would be similar to the uh, peaceful student revolution that you described but that does uh -huh. sound a, that sounds like a lot of fun Filippo. Yeah it was so we are kind of very lucky to have uh, it was in a way a, a, an established uh, revolution which is uh, something of an oxymoron uh, mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. but it happened maybe mm -hmm. uh, yeah maybe once a year uh, every two years or something like that so well, and, and to show a film like Clockwork Orange, yeah. which, you know, plays it was upon... controversial. Yeah, and it plays upon such, you know, prevalent themes of youth rebellion versus authoritarian figures. Mm -hmm. And your young students of high school age, you know, getting permission to watch a Clockwork Orange in the school, I think that's really cool. Um, so uh, let me... Uh, ask you about your website, uh, Archivio Kubrick, which yep. uh, for our listeners who may not be aware, Filippo started this website and it's a behemoth. I mean, it's absolutely amazing and you must check it out. Um, you started Archivio Kubrick, uh, Filippo, in 1999, which of course was the year uh, Stanley passed away uh -huh. uh, all too soon. So my question is, do you recall what prompted you to start the site? Yeah, actually, it didn't have much to do with Kubrick dying uh, because in 1999, I was doing a course in new media at my university and students were encouraged to experiment with the Internet, doing mm -hmm. research and build uh, their own website. Mm. And uh, at the beginning, I what I did was a, a general personal web page, you know, with the nickname and uh, all the usual things that one at that time put online. Mm -hmm. And my site was divided into sections uh, that um, um, reflected my interests, uh, such as communication, literature, cinema, technology, and, of course, Stanley Kubrick. Hmm. And I remember one of the very first things that I did for the Kubrick section was to uh, transcribe the interviews that Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, and Christiana Kubrick did when they attended the Euro European premiere of Eyes Wide Shut in Venice at the film festival. Oh, wow. 
And I wanted uh, uh, these interviews that were published in newspapers to be available for people to read because back then, if you missed something, you had to go to a library and try to find the back issue. So it right. was not really easy. And right. I typed these articles and put them online. So I liked the idea of building a database of Kubrick resources. Uh, so in retrospect, you see that I had a, a, an archivist attitude right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And mm. after a while, it became apparent that the only section of my website, of my personal website that I uh, liked to update was the one about Kubrick. So in 2001, which is again another coincidence, but a significant number, I established uh, Archivio Kubrick as a website entirely focused on, on Kubrick and his films. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's such an impressive site and it's, it's very fun and user-friendly. Um, very in intuitive and uh, just effortless to enjoy uh, for anyone. Uh, the problem is that uh, I, I did it when uh, I was younger. I, my um, knowledge of English language was even limited than the one that I have now. So unfortunately, the vast majority of the website is in Italian. I tried to do an English version of it uh, with uh, the help of... Uh, my roommate, when I was uh, in when I was living in Rome, she was from Texas, so she helped me translate <laughs> some some of the pages. But but then it was the work was uh, too uh, too big, too 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 great. To it, it was a massive job to translate everything into English or to restore the English version of the articles that I translated into Italian. So in the end, I just didn't have the time. And most of it is still in Italian and it's still uh, a work in progress. Uh, mm. So in, in a way, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sorry that I didn't manage to finish the website because the uh, crazy idea that I had was to uh, build a website that contained all the resources that were that uh, were available about Kubrick, like old magazines, the press material, and so on. But uh, I, I simply don't have the time. Uh, well, I certainly wouldn't uh, worry about uh, uh, you know with technology today, and it sounds like it's something. That, uh, we're both interested in, uh, as I was a communications major in uh -huh. university myself, anyone can, you know, copy and paste and translate now, but I was just going to say that I'm sure even your earliest attempts, uh, with the website in English are far superior to any number of, uh, Americans who, uh, continue to butcher the English language <laughs> on a regular basis, but yeah, I digress. Too kind, digress. too kind. With uh, the efforts uh, you'd made uh, towards your website, Archivio Kubrick, um, we all know uh, that it's benefited uh, the online community and the Stanley Kubrick community. Um, What's your personal uh, sense of pride and how you feel that uh, Archivio Kubrick has uh, benefited the Kubrick community at large um, and yourself as a student of Stanley's work? Uh-huh. Uh, 
Um, as its name suggests, uh, Archivio Kubrick has always been a database of documents, really. And I was and still am more interested in documenting Kubrick's, uh, Kubrick's career than analyzing his films from, say, uh, a critical point of view. I think mm. it's fun to interpret the films, but after a while it becomes a little boring for me. Mm -hmm. So, uh, right from the beginning, as I said, it had the goal, the impossible goal, to store all the material that is published uh, about Kubrick. And uh, these resources, uh, uh, the one that I managed to, to put online, have been used uh, by many students in Italy for their assignments. I, I receive lots of emails from Italian students in school and in universities. And mm -hmm. uh, this, is, this is really gratifying because it was exactly the purpose why I built the website in the first place. And uh, this is also the, the, the reason why I'm uh, uh, sorry that I cannot uh, go on with this, uh, with this uh, job uh, at the moment, because uh, as it is now, the, the, the website stores around a gigabyte of material, but I haven't had the time to update it uh, since really ages. And uh, you have to take into consideration the fact that it is all handmade. Mm -hmm. uh, HTML language as it was done in the old days. And it's really like your grandma's network and it takes time and mm. it becomes easily obsolete. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pity that uh, it's unfinished and it is true that one can always add things uh, when they are online. So hopefully in the future, I will be able to uh, try and put more of the stuff that I have online for everybody to see. But mm. if, if uh, this is what I usually answer to the people that contact me, um, if you have uh, an interest, a specific interest in a film and you haven't found what you uh, look for in the website, please write me an email because uh, the there is the a likely chance that what you're looking for is somewhere in my boxes or in my computer so I can try and find some time to uh, scan it or, uh, or send it to you in any way. So I'm trying to help uh, the, uh, the people who are interested in, Kubrick, uh, in Kubrick's film to, mm. to study them and to uh, use the documents such as Kubrick's interviews or mm. the reviews that were published <coughs> historically in newspapers and magazines, all the material that was published when the film, uh, when a film opened, and mm -hmm. yeah, and so on. Yeah. Wow. I mean, uh, just in incredible work. So, you know, we all hope you can get back to that when it's convenient for it. But it sounds like your hands are full, and you do so much, Filippo, to benefit the community. Well, thank um, you. It's it, it's the truth, my friend. Um, I, so that begs the question, you know, what, in your experience, like, what were some of the most interesting interviews that you have done for Archivio Kubrick? Uh, definitely the one that I did with Mario Maldesi, who was the Italian dubbing director of many great films, and specifically mm -hmm. he worked uh, for Kubrick from A Clockwork Orange to Eyes Wide Shut. Wow. And I met Mario in uh, 2002, I think, and he was a fantastic person, incredibly enthusiastic about his work and very wow. chatty. 
he invited <laughs> me has, at his place and we had several wonderful afternoons together. And he allowed me to see his little Kubrick archive, you know, with, with the scripts that he was sent to, to do the wow. translations and the letters that Kubrick wrote him to congratulate him for the job he did. And uh, at that time, in 2002, nobody has seen anything of the sort. Because, right, right. You know, nowadays, a signed letter by Kubrick pops up every minute online, yeah, on Facebook, yeah. on, on mm -hmm. Tumblr. But mm -hmm. back then, it was, it was really thrilling for me to get the opportunity to read Kubrick's handwriting. Yeah. And Mario also had tapes. <clears throat> because he recorded on tape the telephone calls he had with Kubrick because he needed that for his work. Oh my gosh. They, they talked over the telephone discussing uh, the, the voice of the actors and uh, like Kubrick didn't like this one. He thought that one sounded better and Mario told him things like, you can't use this actor because he's doing too many TV commercials and people would uh, recognize him. <laughs> and, you know, all these sort of things. And it, it was really exciting stuff for me, hearing Kubrick's voice. Uh, it was a rare thing. And it gave me also an interesting look at Kubrick's work because Mario showed me that it was true that Kubrick controlled every single step mm. in filmmaking mm -hmm. up to the foreign versions. So wow. that, was, that was really, really a thrilling experience. Ah, uh, I can imagine just hearing you talk about it is thrilling. In fact, you got to hear tapes of, of, of him on the telephone yeah. talking yeah. with Mario. Wow. Yeah, talking wow. with Mario Maldesi and Ricardo Aragno, who did the translation. He was a writer and he knew Kubrick since the, 70, uh, sorry, the 60s. And he worked from Clockwork Orange onwards. And it was a very solid team between Mario Maldesi and Riccardo Aragno. Mm -hmm. And they, they worked with, uh, together with Kubrick for the Italian versions. And they did an absolutely magnificent job. I really think that the Italian version of this, The Shining specifically and Full Metal Jacket may well be even better than the original ones. I no really, kidding. Really, I wow. really, really wow. love their work on The Shining and Full Metal Jacket. It's so effective, wow. it's so powerful, mm. and uh, because it's your own language, it affects me really, really deeply. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, mm -hmm. they, they did an incredible job. And Mario also uh, is, uh, res was responsible um, for many great films, uh, for many great Italian versions of great films. So it was, mm. it was really also an honor for me to meet him. He, he was a really uh, fantastic person. Yeah. Wow, gosh, I can only imagine. I, I have to ask this follow-up question. Do you know yeah. what became what, what became of uh, Mario's uh, tapes and record with the recording uh, they are, as well? They are, they are still in, uh, in his house, and I spoke with his daughters uh, because they all, of course they had uh, an idea of honoring uh, Mario's legacy. Mm -hmm. And uh, we we discussed the, the, this topic several years ago, and uh, usually we we exchange conversation uh, now and then. And uh, if they decide to to do something, uh, as I suggest them to to do, not only about Kubrick but with all the other great directors that right, uh, right. Mario worked with, um, yeah, that would be that would be amazing. And uh, the if you if you consider that what is exciting 
about Kubrick in Mario Maldesi's archive and uh, multiply it uh, for Fellini or mm. uh, oh, the, Exo- my the Exorcist wow. and the films by James Cameron. Because usually when a director, when a, a foreign director uh, started working with Mario, then he imposed him uh, to the production and he wanted him to do the Italian version of all the subsequent films. So now, uh, all these, after The Exorcist, for example, all the films that Friedkin directed are mm-hmm. uh, translated mm-hmm. and dubbed into Italian by, by Mario Maldesi. So he was really, really one of the greatest, yeah. Wow. When did Mario pass, Filippo? Uh, in, I think, 2012. Okay. Yeah, in 2012, yeah. Wow. So that must have been, uh, as you said, you know, like one of the most interesting uh, interviews. I just have, I have to ask uh, another question about uh, Archivio Kubrick. Um, Any particular article uh, to go along with uh, what you think, uh, you know, your most important interview with Mario Maldesi, was there an article you found that you feel is is as important to you personally or something that you're really, really um, proud of there? Uh, maybe the, the section that I called vintage section, uh, where mm. I had the idea of cataloging, scanning and storing and presenting online back issues of magazines and promotional material. I think I put there uh, a 1948 magazine with one of the very first interviews that Kubrick did. Wow. Uh, uh, There's a couple of articles published in 1968 about how the special effects for 2001 were made and the programs that were distributed to theaters for 2001 and A Clockwork Orange. And this is one of the very few sections that I translated into English, so anybody can uh, appreciate the material that... I put uh, I put there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's uh, wow, that's amazing. Uh, it's just a little fraction of the things that I accumulated over the years, but still, it's a starting point. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I've I've looked at your site, you know, and several times, and it's it's just amazing, uh, exhaustive research uh, you've done, and the vintage section. But I mean, again. Uh, for our listeners have a look because it's just you know it's a lot of fun and it's just uh obviously done with love you can tell that your site was created with uh the touch of someone who really cared uh to just get it right and uh the passion you put into it is is evident um did you ever get a chance to uh visit the kubrick archives in london Filippo? yeah 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 i visited the kubrick archive um for the first time in 2007 or 8, right after it opened. And uh, now I think I can call myself a regular visitor because I happen to drop uh, to the Kubrick Archive whenever I pass through London, uh, which is always exciting. And, uh, you know, you you can find literally uh, tons of material and for... Uh, for researchers and uh, mm-hmm. s- students is, uh, is, is amazing, is, is an amazing resource. I think the family did a great service to film uh, student and uh, uh, anyone who appreciate Kubrick's films by giving the, the, this uh, great collection of material. And uh, yeah. 
they didn't do any service to us over here across the pond because I'm jealous. Like we can't get our hands on it. That's not yeah. right. It's not right. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I just wish they could make, you know, some nice high quality duplicates and maybe create yeah. like yeah. A, a, a clone, uh, uh-huh. you know, Kubrick archives over here. But uh, yeah, but I, they, they are still cataloging <laughs> the material. So maybe in the future, I know they will be it's able- amazing to put every single document online because yeah. this is, I think this is what is all about to uh, give the true, uh, finally a true account of mm-hmm. how Kubrick mm-hmm. worked in his life, how, uh, how much work he put into his, his films. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like you've been there many, many times. Do you remember how you felt the first time you went? What, what uh, must have that been like? Uh, well, surreal because yeah, for, yeah. for the first time you you had the opportunity to touch uh, right your your passion. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, it, it's something that happened to me when I was invited to Emilio's place and uh, look at his at his own Kubrick archive. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I was really, in a way, lucky to have the chance of. Uh, uh, taking care of Emilio's material and taking a look at Mario Maldesi's material and then visit the, the, the Kubrick archive. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's always a, an informative and exciting experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have to talk about your book because uh, it's just, uh, as, I, as I wrote you uh, a while back, I mean, that uh, book and the, uh, accompanying documentary S is for Stanley struck me and I'm sure a lot of Stanley enthusiasts uh, it struck me as a as rather a a love story and I just think it Mm -hmm. was so so beautifully written and well done I I have to ask you know what it was like when you when you first met Emilio how did you come in contact with him and uh yeah how did how did the process begin Filippo? Mm-hmm. Uh, he contacted me in 2005 because he wanted to write his memories uh, with Kubrick and a friend of his wrote me an email to my Archivio Kubrick address. Mm-hmm. He thought that I was the right person for the job, so to speak. And so mm-hmm. I went to Casino. You are. Oh, thank you. Uh, I went to, to <laughs> Casino to meet Emilio and he offered me an amazing story and that I thought it was absolutely worth uh, writing because... It, it is really a fairy tale or a love story, as you said. So, um, yeah, I try to, to convey that quality uh, in, in the book and I try to put in the book um, the excitement that I had uh, while listening to, to Emilio's recollections of his life with Stanley or with Kubrick. Sometimes I use, when I speak, when I speak about my book or about Emilio, uh, Stanley drops in instead of Kubrick because Emilio had this tremendous ability to make me feel uh, connected to Kubrick, to uh, all the actors and the writers, because Emilio was always there and mm-hmm. he, he was able to convey this feeling of intimacy. And uh, yeah, so Kubrick became very easily Stanley when we were talking together. Well, that's more than acceptable, even for just, you know, we enthusiasts. I know that, uh, you know, 
Stephen Rigg, the founder of Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society and the producer of uh, our podcast and um, so many others, all of us, you know, kind of toggle back and forth in, you know, either uh, referring to him as uh, Kubrick or Stanley because of a certain personal affection, uh, Mm -hmm. even if we didn't have your experience of... of, uh, you know, uh, documenting Emilio's uh, story, there is a certain sense of uh, pride, I think, that people who really care about his legacy have in in wanting to feel like it's okay to sometimes uh, call yeah. to call him Stanley yeah. as as though he, you know, he were but a friend. It, it's still it's still weird for me in a way because I didn't know him. I mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I only met personally uh, Jan Harlan and very briefly Katharina. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's it's still weird to address him <clears throat> as Stanley, but sometimes it happens. <laughs> so, yeah, we we I think we all share a same uh, deep appreciation for who he was and who and what he achieved. Well, he's a man um, who was a film director, um, and he is no longer with us um, and he made quite a lot of films one named Clockwork Orange one about an ape um, yeah You mentioned uh, having met Jan and uh, Katharina Yeah um, Have you ever had a chance to uh, were you ever invited to the family estate at uh, Chittickbury? Uh, no. Um, Emilio actually asked me uh, a few times if I wanted to go there with him, and I've always refused uh, because of it's, a, it's a private place, and yeah. I, don't see, I don't see the point of going there just to visit. I mean, I spoke with Christiana on the telephone when I was writing Emilio's biography, and as I said, I interviewed Jan at his house mm-hmm. in St. Albans, but these are conversation for my work. They had a practical purpose. Uh, so I, when Emilio asked me, why don't you come with me the next time I go to visit Christiana? And uh, mm. I've, I've always felt um, like uh, I would be an intruse. And uh, mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. Didn't seem, mm-hmm. it didn't seem either necessary nor particularly uh, important. Yeah. Know? Well, that's uh, extremely respectful of you and very wise. I think uh, you you uh, hit the nail on the head. Um, it, it is, you know, a different matter from being uh, the enthusiasts uh, or the archivists. Uh, and then there's, you know, the Kubrick family uh, itself. Yeah. And yeah, there's, there's uh, you know, obviously just the need to ask, given the, that question, given how much research you did for your book and mm-hmm. uh, and, and as the screenwriter for uh, S's for Stanley. So I want to go back to that. Um, when you were getting started with Emilio after uh, you'd agreed to write uh, his memoir, like, do you recall uh, whether you spoke over the phone to get a lot of information? Did you drive out to visit him at first? How did that begin? Uh, yeah, yeah, we talked in person. We, I mm. went to his house. I was living in Rome back then, and okay. the casino is just uh, about two hours 
from Rome. I used to take a train and go there and uh, spend the weekend talking uh, with him. I was mm-hmm. there for around uh, 20 weekends over the course of two years. Mm. So I got the chance of asking, uh, I've got the chance to ask him uh, whichever question I wanted and satisfy all the curiosities I had about how the films were made and what Kubrick did when he was not making a film, you know, what he did in those three or four years of nothing. Uh, and in the end, I learned that he did lots and lots of things, actually, because the work never stopped at Chidikpuri. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, as I said, it was an incredible experience to be able to know uh, from Emilio uh, never before disclosed things about Kubrick's life and work. And uh, yeah, it, it was in a way um, the fans dream come true, literally, because uh, it was the, 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 the biggest opportunity for me uh, both to work with something that uh, was only uh, a, a passion up until that moment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to uh, really get into my passion and be able to satisfy all the curiosities and the information that I that I wanted to know, because e- Emilio was there uh, all the time from. Mm-hmm. 1970-71 up until 1999, mm-hmm. uh, 20 hours a day. Yeah. So uh, he, his experience is unique. I mean, he... Yeah. Well, uh, for any of our listeners who have not read Filippo and Emilio's book, Stanley Kubrick and Me, 30 Years at His Side, uh, you simply must get it. It's just one of the most lovingly told and intimate portrayals of Stanley the man, Stanley the human being. And I think uh, for a lot of us who've been reading all kinds of books, you know, starting with how his films were made to, you know, uh, books that looked at his philosophy and examined the deeper aspects of him as a person, your book, Filippo, really just the icing on the cake um, and a treasure trove. There are several really moving and emotional passages in the book. I mean, uh, I'm recalling the the part with Emilio's son's, you know, terrible accident. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the time when Emilio and Stanley uh, parted company, when Emilio had finally moved to Casino. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, And Emilio describing Stanley in his final... Uh, days and the the the, uh, the 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 request for the oxygen tanks and uh, it's just yeah, yeah. it's 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 achingly beautiful if that makes sense. Um, how did you handle those parts of the interview? It must have been delicate. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was also uh, a bit difficult and. Um it took uh, actually it took me a, a very long time to write the book, especially because it was my first attempt in writing anything uh, that big. It mm-hmm. took me a year to write the first draft, and then another year to rewrite it. Uh, I mm-hmm. think uh, seven times, and then three years to find a publisher, and then another rewriting. So in the end, from 2005, when I met Emilio and started working, the book was out in Italy in 2012. So it's seven years. 
And it's true that most of this time was spent in trying to find a publisher because for some reason, I don't know why, but publisher said that uh, this was not an interesting book about Kubrick because... Are you kidding me? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, could, I really could not believe it. Okay, um, yeah. Shows but, what they know. Yeah, but uh, maybe because I was uh, really a nobody, so I didn't have any connection with the publishing business and mm -hmm. it, it took me a while. But also the writing was difficult for me because uh, I was given a pretty daunting task, actually, or what I thought was a pretty, pretty daunting task, mm. which is uh, uh, to shape 30 years of life into an interesting book. Mm -hmm. uh, to describe things and people I didn't experience personally, mm -hmm. uh, to give a, um, a literary voice, not only to Emilio, which I got to know pretty well in the end, but to mm. Stanley Kubrick as well, mm -hmm. uh, who is, you know, the unknowable director. Right, right. Right. And I wanted the book to have a strong narrative quality, to be read as much as possible as a yes. novel. Yes. While at the same time staying true to Emilio's experience. So I wanted to achieve a balance between the facts and how to portray the facts in an engaging way. And I had to make all the people mentioned in the book seem vivid and lively mm -hmm. as characters. Mm -hmm. But I also had to be respectful <clears throat> of their privacy because, of course, there are plenty of personal things in the book, in, in the yes. story. Yes. And so, yeah, uh, it, was, it was really uh, difficult, I think, to, uh, or at least I was really concerned about it. Yeah, let, let's mm. say that. I was really concerned about being able to shape it in an interesting way, uh, be respectful of what happened, be respectful all, all the, of all these people who are mentioned in the book, and uh, at the same time, I wanted to, um, I, think they, I think Emilio uh, gave me with his story the chance of paint an emotional portrait of Kubrick, which is something that was never done before. So I really wanted, and I'm, I'm really glad when you said that there are many passages in the book that you consider moving and emotional, oh. because this oh. is exactly what I wanted to achieve, to uh, because Emilio perceived his story in that way and uh, he cried mm. sometimes when mm. he remembered those things. So I felt a strong level of emotion when mm. I was uh, listening to him and I wanted to convey that intimacy and that uh, strong level of, 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 of sentiment, of emotion in, in uh, in, in, in the book, yeah. You, you, you did, you did, you did, you did, and again, you did, my friend. Thank you, yeah, thank you. You. Aco you accomplished all of that and so much more. I mean this with no uh, intended or unintended slight to any other author on Kubrick, but I'm surely not an alone in thinking that uh, yours and Emilio's book really does something that no other book about Stanley has had uh, done prior to it. It's it's just, uh, I think the story so many of us would have loved to hear for all these years. And, you know, hats off to you guys, both of you really, for 
bringing it into the world because it's absolutely you know essential that it's part of uh, any fan's uh, Kubrick library. Um, and I just have to briefly uh, add that in both the book and the documentary you uh, co-wrote the screenplay for S is for Stanley. The the part when it comes to uh, Emilio and Stanley having to say goodbye, and especially okay, in the in in the documentary because I tend to be a visually oriented person. Mm-hmm. The part the part where Emilio is describing the awkward hug that takes place, and we never like to use uh, profanity uh, on the show, but we are quoting. Uh, Kubrick hit when the part when he he's awkwardly standing across yeah. the room and 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 Stan and, and Emilio re, is is recalling the story of how Stanley just says well fuck this and they hug I mean I cannot get through that and not cry Filippo I I can't I can't it's just yeah. that moving it's wonderful and yeah so thanks for letting me share my uh personal favorite moment among many well i mean i i only have to 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 thank you for uh for for your words and i'm happy that uh the intensity uh of emotion that i perceived while listening to emilio was brought into the book and into the film so that was that was our intention yeah I, I mean, you, you, you really nailed it. Do you have one thing uh, that's personal to you, you, which you think was the most interesting that you discovered uh, during your interviews uh, with Emilio? I, I don't know, like, like everything. Because, yeah. <laughs> uh, I have, I had, um, well, I think it's, it's uh, two things, basically. One is that I had an even stronger impression of the amount of work that Kubrick did Mm. Uh, because uh, even when I, uh, this this was something that I understood for the first time when I visited the Stanley Kubrick ex- exhibition when mm-hmm. it opened in Frankfurt, and just being able to see all the stuff that was there mm. was a way to finally. Um, uh, because, you know, you, you've always read that Kubrick did uh, lots of research, he read a lot of books, and uh, he contacted many advisors, but these are only uh, abstract ideas, abstract concepts, and once you see the actual amount of stuff, of paper, of people, it, it's unbelievable. And mm. the exhibition really made me appreciate even more Kubrick as an artist, because mm. He worked so hard, and his inspiration came from extensive research, and I I really liked that. And when I was with Emilio, I had an even more concrete, uh, um, is that that the the right word? An even more uh, actual, real Mm. feeling of the incredible amount of work and of love that went into those films. Yes. And yes. uh, um, the the second thing that was even more astonishing that I discovered uh, while talki- talking to uh, Emilio is uh, seeing Kubrick as a man. 
because uh, Emilio spent, as I said, 30 years, 20 hours a day with him, nonstop. And uh, they developed a very strong relationship. In the end, they, they were very, very close, I think. And that gave me uh, the chance of uh, having a glimpse into how Kubrick was as a person, how was his character, how he behaved with the people he was working with. And it is true that we have read uh, many different accounts uh, written by actors, um, mm -hmm. writers, and the technicians um, in interviews when the film opened. Uh, but the... Mm -hmm. uh, how can I say it? Uh, Emilio had a very uh, keen eye and a very... Uh, a very good eye for detail. So uh, mm -hmm. his story was very colorful and vivid. And uh, yeah, so, so his, his stories were really, really different from all the ones that I read or uh, listened to in documentaries, in the, you know, the, the special features in the DVD editions or whatever. And yeah, I, I, I don't claim that I understood who Kubrick was as a person, or if you read the book, you can understand Kubrick, uh, the real Stanley Kubrick, and, and nothing of that sort, because uh, it's not easy to understand anybody, and not uh, because Kubrick was a complex uh, character. But still, you have a more, I think, balanced view <coughs> of him after reading the book or seeing the film. Uh, Absolutely. It, 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 it adds another layer and a very different layer and the layer that was uh, there for 30 years. So, yeah, I, I, I was going to say, you know, uh, on the contrary, I, I, I think your book is uh, absolutely a, a, a very intimate. Uh, and while it's true, it's not capable to uh, know uh, the real uh, someone else uh, to use a phrase. I think mm -hmm. what your what your book does is something that that nothing else uh, on the subject of Stanley Kubrick has achieved before. I mean, as Stanley Kubrick enthusiasts, uh, everyone at Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society. We, I mean, we've all read so many books on him and his films, and it seems, Filippo, that you know everyone who reads your book says that your book is just so much better in the way that it covers Stanley the man, not the filmmaker. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the books on the filmmaker do tend to, at this point in time, you know, there, there can be repeats and rehashes, slightly more in-depth, but stuff we've already read, um, information that's been out there. And that cannot be said of what you and Emilio did, what you accomplished. So I just can't imagine how amazing it must feel uh, given the feedback uh, that you guys have gotten. I mean, authors like Michael Hare and Frederick Raphael uh, have both written, you know, uh, some portraits that had a very personal take. But, mm -hmm. you know, Filippo, your book just seemed to be so much more intimate, lovingly done, and, and again, ultimately satisfying to the fans who wanted to know more about Stanley the Man. Um, you know, well, how does it feel to be receiving all the, you know, amazing and 
deserved feedback that you've been getting for the book. Right, it was amazing. I mean, and it was even surprising because uh, the book was also an experiment for me because it was the first book that I um, wrote. It was the first major thing that I did, and I had mm -hmm. no idea what the outcome would be. Mm -hmm. And uh, also because uh, for the first uh, three years, I couldn't find uh, a publisher that was interested, so I started doubting about the quality of of the thing mm. and or the fact that uh, maybe there is no more market for anything about Kubrick because so mm. much has been done already which was <laughs> one of the answers that I uh, that one of the replies that I got from publishers and but to me this was really a unique opportunity to 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 do a completely different book about Kubrick yes and the the feedback has really been amazing and we we both are really really happy about it uh, mm -hmm. not only for you know but we we also got a pretty good uh, review on the new york times mm -hmm. uh, but really what what really uh make me happy and satisfied is the many emails that we received uh, from people who just read the book and just wanted to tell emilio uh, how fantastic the story was and how emotional they were while reading the last part of the book and how they appreciated uh, Kubrick as an artist more after reading the book. Uh, so, yeah, th this is really, really gratifying and satisfying, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, can only imagine the personal sense of... Uh satisfaction and joy you must have in doing that and then it led to of course the uh, 2015 documentary um s is for stanley now you co-wrote the screenplay uh yeah alex read the book when it came out in italy and wrote me an email uh, saying he had loved it and he was mm. so enthusiastic about it that he wanted to meet me uh, mm. right at the moment <laughs> so um to talk and that about was it. that yeah, and so we met and we spent an afternoon just chatting about Emilio, Kubrick, Kubrick's films. It was really just a chat between two excited fans, really. Mm, mm. And uh, Alex also had visited Chidikbury to interview Christiana for the, uh, for the first TV broadcasting of A Clockwork Orange in Italy. So he yeah. it was uh, <clears throat> surreal for him to sort of revisit uh, mm. Chidikbury in the book with Emilio as a guide mm. uh, the rooms because he was there as well and oh wow uh, yeah so we we did this sort of tour of the house in our minds while while talking about uh, Emilio's experience and uh, we kept in touch for a while and then he told me he had decided to buy the rights to the book and make a documentary out of it <laughs> and Incredible. he asked me to help me to help him uh, write the screenplay because he really loved this story that I presented. He yeah. actually he described the book just as you did, uh, as a love a story. Love story. Emilio and Stanley. Yeah, which yeah. It, yeah. it basically is. I mean, the underlying structure that I used for the book was that of a personal relationship that mm. begins, develops, grows. Mm -hmm. You know, there's even that moment that you mentioned where the two lovers, in quotes, are separate. Yeah. And they discover they cannot stay apart, so then they reunite. 
So mm. uh, I was happy to hear that Alex shared uh, this perspective on the story and he wanted to film uh, the book. Yeah. This is the story of two men. E came from Italy and S from the United States. One was a race car driver and the other one was a genius. I said, I'm Stanley Kubrick. So I just looked at him and I'm Emilio D'Alessandro. Emilio was initially hired as Kubrick's personal chauffeur, but pretty soon he became the man in charge of everything from the props to the pets, from the actors to the members of his family. As a director and Kubrick junkie, I decided this was going to be my next project. So I went to meet Emilio in Casino, where he lives now, and he told me of his 30 years next to Stanley. So Stanley said to me, Emilio, this is Jack Nicholson, the new act for the film. What do you think about Jack Nicholson? I said, well, Looks okay, but why don't you use Charles Bronson? I had the opportunity to get a unique look inside Kubrick's life and to hear the story of an incredible friendship. I thought I knew everything about the man, but what I found is much, much more. We, we worked to, together on the screenplay, which uh, basically, um, because it's a documentary, it's not a classic writing job. It had more to do with structure selection of the material, pacing, mm -hmm. certain words that were necessary to be used as uh, turning points of the story, where the film needed to gain momentum, where it needed to be mm -hmm. emotional, you know, this, this sort of things. And uh, I was there when the film was shot in Casino and then in London, just, you know, help, helping around, help Emilio also feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, because I knew I knew him. Uh, uh, this was 2013, so I knew him for at least, um, yeah, more or like 10 years. And uh, I did also sort of continuity work, and then I was consulted during the earlier stages of the editing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think my main contribution to the film is that I I wrote the book. Uh, I mean, Emilia's life with Stanley uh, could have been told in many different ways. And I decided it was more interesting to shape it as the chronicle of a very long and affectionate personal relationship. Mm. So all the information, all the secrets about Kubrick's filmmaking are there, but they are on top of a deeper level, uh, mm -hmm. which we just discussed, you know, the, the personal, emotional, internal core of, of this story, uh, because otherwise, for me, it, it would have just uh, it would have just been a, a boring list of anecdotes. Mm. I thought. In, in fact, I'm always a bit wary of discussing uh, the content of the book because I really would like to uh, the reader to absorb it uh, without uh, thinking. I mean, I, I got uh, several comments, uh, uh, feedback from people. Uh, saying that they read the book more than once and uh, for the first time, during the first reading, they absorbed the story. They wanted to know uh, what happened and even though they, of course, knew the ending, they wanted to discover how the ending would have been uh, presented. And then they reread it and discovered all the things about how Kubrick made his films and uh, because I, I tried to uh, in a way, hide 
the informative value of such a book within the story. Mm. So maybe you have to read it more than once to see how Kubrick produced a film. For example, uh, this is something that it never uh, came out in the feedbacks that I had, but for me it was really interesting to, to know, is that Kubrick tried to build the Stanley Kubrick Studios, which would have been a place near his house, where mm. he could produce his films totally independently. Because mm -hmm. we know that when he uh, was uh, distributing his films through uh, Warner Brothers, one would suppose that he was okay with that, and then he, that he was mm -hmm. uh, only uh, producing his films with Warner Brothers' money. But then by talking with Emilio, I discovered that, no, Kubrick really wanted to be even more independent. Mm. So uh, I thought maybe if Kubrick really managed to build stages and a studio, maybe he would have rented it to someone else when he was not using it and so earn money. And so from mm -hmm. his money, he could have made a film uh, completely independently, even from Warner Brothers. I didn't want to be the scholar over Emilio's story. I wanted the story to be upfront as possible. Mm -hmm. So maybe you have to read uh, the book a second time to appreciate all the details that Emilio told me that revealed to me a specific way of how he, how Kubrick produced his films, which for me was really, really another layer of interest in uh, in listening to Emilio. Well, I, if I'm not mistaken, Kubrick actually did find uh, a location, but then uh, didn't George Lucas use exactly. it uh, for the Star Wars prequels? Yes, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Because Amazing. Kubrick was, of course, uh, thinking about it and thinking a little more about it and then thinking even more about it. And in this very long and slow thinking process that Kubrick had, George Lucas came, bought the property, converted into studios and uh, yeah he, he couldn't do it so you you were present with uh, uh, a lot of the uh, uh, Emilio interviews on camera then yeah all, all the time we yeah spent, all of them right, yeah right. we spent uh, a week in casino and three days in London that must have been reassuring to him uh, on a personal level since he'd already trusted you with the book yes yes that that is also why I was there because uh, at first he was very, um, well, a little bit worried about writing the book mm -hmm. because, of course, he was taught about never talk about Stanley Kubrick for so many right. years. Right. So uh, I also had, when I first met him, I also had to sort of uh, unwind or untie the emotional knots that he had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this was... Mm a job that had to be done again for the documentary because he had to be uh, on camera, which was for mm -hmm. the first time. Mm -hmm. And it took a little bit of time. Uh, I think it's evident that uh, the love that went into making it is on par with the love story that is told about, you know, Stanley and Emilio. It, it's, they are reciprocal. 
So it's mm. thank my, you. No, it's, because it's I, I'm really yeah, I'm I'm really happy to to hear these kind of reactions because it was really uh, a, a work of love in many many ways. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I mean, you know, Emilio's wife Jeanette was. Uh, you know, a real part of the story, and uh, mm-hmm. it, it's it's uh, it's it's not something that uh, you know a lesser author would have picked up on. And thankfully, you're, you're so great at what you do. But it, it, I mean, gosh, how many times had I seen Eyes Wide Shut, and I never knew that Stanley gave her a cameo? It was yeah. really interesting to to read and to see in the documentary about Jeanette. What was it like? Uh, uh, your experience with her and do you know how she felt about Emilio uh, doing the book Uh, and the documentary? uh, Well, uh, if you're allowed to say, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, the, the, the fact is that she had the uh, worst part of Emilio working with Stanley, which is something that many wives uh, of the people who worked uh, with Kubrick head, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, basically an absent husband. Mm-hmm. And so for her, it was certainly uh, difficult. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was in uh, in Casino for around two years interviewing Emilio, of course, I interviewed also Jeanette. And uh, yeah, but my idea is to put her in the book as much as possible, because mm. of course she is not in the story um, because this, the main story is, as we said, the love story between uh, Emilio and Stanley. But uh, I think it was essential for uh, achieving that kind of truthfulness in the story to present Jeanette as much as possible. Because otherwise, yes. it would have yes. been just a sort of um, a story in, in a void context. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I needed uh, some sort of uh, reality check. Mm. Uh, because I don't think that Emilio had uh, very much a. Uh, how can I say it? He was really into <clears throat> his work with Kubrick. That sometimes he lost contact with reality, which I'm mm-hmm. certain is um, is uh, something that happened with many people who worked mm. uh, with Kubrick. Mm-hmm. And so I had to constantly remind also the reader that uh, in a way that level of intensity in work can be uh, detrimental for anything else that is not involved in that work. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but... No, absolutely. Uh, so it having does. Jeanette in the story allowed me to sort of saying sometimes, Emilio, it's just too much. Mm. What you are doing is just too much. Yeah. Well, it, it, it conveys the truth of so much of human love, which is that there is no human love without uh, an accompanying uh, loss. And it seems like, uh, unfortunately, Jeanette was the loss uh, part of the love story. Uh, yeah. But in, at, in the, at the same time, uh, it completely humanizes uh, Stanley and Emilio's love for one another. So it's it's bittersweet and essential mm-hmm. to the overall story. You, you know, it's the yin to the yang, if you will. And mm-hmm. I think it mm-hmm. comes across uh, uh, just 
very poignantly uh, in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I, ju- I just wanted to t- to say that I was ready to fight with my publisher in case. Uh, they wanted to take out uh, the bits with uh, Emilio's family, such mm-hmm. as uh, the the accident of his uh, son, uh, because mm-hmm. I wanted those parts to be there, because uh, they are part of the story. They are not the background. They are integral part of the story. But luckily for me, the publisher said, absolutely, you have to keep them in. And he encouraged the my, my editor he encouraged me to add even more of these little glimpses in wow. the actual life within Emilio's household. Stanley Kubrick is a guy. Oh, get down, Stan. I've got a dog called Stanley here jumping at the ale. Um, who made films. He made monkey films. <laughs> Planet of the Apes, was it? I don't know. Allegedly faked moon landings, but I ain't having that. He's also a Yank who lived in Surrey and wouldn't travel far from his house. I've learned that from my boring friend called Stephen Rigsby, and I remember it. <laughs> but I do know that he's quite a famous guy and he also is related to the people who invented the Rubik's Cube I think that was his grandparents or something he made Clockwork Orange no, yeah <laughs> he made Space 1999 or Odyssey he did Kubrick, Kubrick, Kubrick uh, isn't it funny how you got blank I know way more than this uh, he made a lot of money <laughs> he made some monkey film, have I said that? I blame the rave scene on this memory loss. Uh, <laughs> in a nutshell, that's Kubrick's world. <laughs> it's half an emotes like. Thanks, Filippo. You, you really, uh, you're the best. You're so kind to give us this time. I, I do want to ask you, though, I mean, because th- this part was fascinating. I mean, one of the greatest parts of the story was, I mean, for us, was to discover that after 30 plus years working together on five films, Emilio had never watched any of Stanley's films until after they'd parted company. I mean, that is one of the most revealing things about the yeah. relationship. And it, and it wasn't about, again, you know, Stanley the filmmaker, but more Stanley the man. Do you remember how you felt when you first learned when when Emilio first told you that he had not seen one of his films yeah, after it, it, it was amazing. at the same time completely crazy and so it totally made sense because Emilio was there not because he was Stanley Kubrick the famous film director he mm-hmm. was there because uh, he l- loved working with Stanley mm-hmm. so uh, and when I when I asked him uh, weren't you just curious of seeing the films he said, well, I already seen them. I was there. Right. <laughs> and I think this uh, sort oh, of um, naive vision of <laughs> cinema was fantastic, was beautiful. Because uh, what is the point of seeing a film? I was into within a film, you know? Yeah. So uh, for him, 
there was really no no interest. And then he said, and then I, I didn't have the time. I was constantly working. I didn't have two hours of time. Simple as that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's it's another thing that's bittersweet. It makes sense. I, I love at the end of S's for Stanley just the the way Emilio describes uh, uh, Stanley asking him, "Did you watch my my yeah. films?" And and he, which one did you like best? And he says, "Spartacus." And he, I, just, I would have been a, I would have liked to be a fly <laughs> on a wall when he said, "Yes, that. just just look at Kubrick's face, at I Kubrick's know, expression." I know. With all the films that he did, Spartacus. I yeah, know, I know. It's <laughs> to perfect. say that to it's Stanley. Perfect. It's the perfect answer. And it's also the answer of how Emilio was so trusted by mm. Kubrick. Because it really didn't care about all the movie-making business. Now that's brilliant. It's a great line, yeah. I, I wish I, I, I had invented it, but it was just Emilio who told me. Yeah, who told me that. I mean, you're right. It really is the perfect you know, answer in that uh, it's the most honest. And uh, given the way uh, your book portrays the honesty of their relationship, it, 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 it's not possible to think of Emilio having a more honest reply to Stanley's yeah. question of what, which one of my movies did you like best, pal? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, and the stories of Emilio driving around Stanley's actors and collaborators was fascinating. Like the young Ryan O'Neill story, Jack Nicholson, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the various writers who were taken to meet him. Um, you must have had a lot of fun with that. Do you have recollections of uh, Emilio uh, describing like, well, you know, I mean, in the early stages, it was just a job. And we know what his first job was uh, in driving for Stanley. Mm -hmm. um, and that is you, another case in which I would have liked to be able to invent such an opening, mm. but it was really there. I mean, this story had literally everything that I needed to shape it as an interesting book and then the film, because everything that happened happened in the exact perfect order to have a uh, fantastic story. I mean, you start with the giant phallus from a clock. I know. Of orange, <laughs> I know. And He's like, yeah, sure, you, I'll deliver you, a package, whatever. Yeah, a package, yeah. A hell okay. of a package. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Terrible joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got it. Yeah. I know, I, mean, I know. I mean, you, you have to play around it because I mean, it, it's a hell of an opening. Yeah. And yeah, and then from from that it, it goes on with uh, you know laughs and tears. The the suggestion of I, I mean uh, Charles Bronson uh, that Emilio had to play <laughs> yeah. was it Jack Torrance I think yes yes for Jack Torrance yeah it's just why don't you why don't story. you use why don't you use that actor the one that I liked uh, oh, I, 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 and and again and again, imagine imagine Kubrick's reaction. Right. When he said, "Well, uh, Charles Bronson." Charles Bronson, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then the the other interesting and uh, kind of tender. 
thing is that Kubrick explained to Emilio why Charles Bronson was not good as a choice for Jack mm-hmm. Hawkins. Mm-hmm. So he, Kubrick uh, met Emilio on his level and right. he spent five minutes or whatever or of his time to explain that yeah. you know, Jack Nicholson is much better because of these and that and so on. That's so cool. Like, yeah, he didn't, he didn't just uh, dismiss him, you know, with the, yeah, no, that's not going to happen, Emilio. You know, yeah, he, oh, no. as you what said, are, he, what are you yeah. thinking? What are right, you right. Thinking? right. Yeah. <laughs> Which would have been the reaction, I think, of most of us, let alone, you know, a filmmaker. Or yeah, of course. <laughs> the greatest filmmaker ever. Oh, my God, that is so funny. And it, yeah. And to know that Stanley handled that with just, you know, a kindness and a diplomacy because mm-hmm. of how he regarded his friend. And, and you know, that, it's just, wow. It says so, a lot, I mean. It does, it does. Well, it, yeah, and I, I have to ask, because this is not uh, your first time at the rodeo, as they say. I mean, you were uh, given thanks in uh, John Ronson's uh, documentary, oh. Stanley Kubrick's Boxes. Yeah, back in uh. 2008. So what yeah. was your involvement? Yeah, what was well, your involvement yeah. with that, man? Uh, yeah, that that happened by chance because I was at the Kubrick Archive doing research, mm. and there <clears throat> there was this man who was digitizing some footage, and I sneaked a look and mm. I, in the monitor, and I recognized it as the footage that was shot by Vivian Kubrick during the making of Full Metal Jacket. Right, right. So I got excited. I couldn't stop myself from starting a conversation with this man who turned yeah. out to be assisting John Ronson making a documentary. So mm. we had a nice chat, uh, as always, and we exchanged contacts. And sometime later, he wrote me an email asking for some material that I had. Uh, I think uh, it was uh, newspaper clippings about Kubrick's death and mm. other material that he knew I had. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I got a thank you credit on the on the documentary because because I took a sneak peek on that monitor while he was working. Yeah. Well, I mean, talk about being in the right place at the right time. But yeah. that, there's there's some uh, serendipity there because I mean, Stanley Kubrick's box is uh, is from 2008, if I'm not mistaken. And we're talking a decade mm-hmm. uh, ago, and now here you are, like you know, with this amazing book and a documentary of, well, yours and Alex's own, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with, with Emilio, of course. So it's certainly, I'm just going to say, it must have been an amazing decade for you, my man. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so, it I was, mean, yeah. and I mean, and, and it's only getting better. I mean, you recently lectured at Bordeaux. I mean, is there mm-hmm. any, any way you can give us an overview of, uh, yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. yeah, please, yeah, please. Yeah, that, that, that was really uh, super fun because it was uh, the second academic conference about Kubrick that I attended. Uh, the mm. first one was in Leicester last year. Mm-hmm. And this one was, uh, this one in Bordeaux was a sort of continuation of it. So okay. I met there many interesting people. Some of them I knew by name because they of their work uh, about Kubrick, such as Mick Broderick. Mm-hmm. Peter Kramer and Nathan Abrams. So it was really, really uh, exciting and fun to be there and chatting with them and exchanging our views about about the films. 
And uh, in Leicester, I presented a talk about Kubrick's unfinished projects. Mm -hmm. I have a list of around 50 projects that Kubrick worked on and then abandoned. So it's much more than the usual Arian Papers, Napoleon, uh, God-fearing mm -hmm. man, or uh, other titles that uh, usually are mentioned in the literature. And uh, uh, the resulting essay is to be published very soon in uh, mm -hmm. Synergia Journal. Uh, so if you're interested in knowing more about the unfinished films, uh, please take a look at it when it's out. And, Absolutely. And the talk that I gave at the Bordeaux University, as you said, was about the Kubrick mythology. And I wanted to understand why Kubrick has gained this mythological image of mm. uh, an unrelenting perfectionist mm -hmm. almost bordering on the maniacal Mm -hmm. uh, this tyrannical boss for his crew, a man that was alienated from the physical world, never seen in public, you know, mm -hmm. the, the usual Kubrick anecdotes, as right. he himself uh, once put it in an interview. So we now know it is not the truth, but mm -hmm. why, why it happened? I wanted to know and why his mystique originated. So that was... Uh, the content of the uh, From Boy Genius to Barking Loon talk. Right. At Bordeaux. Gave, yeah. yeah, that I gave in Bordeaux. And so, also, um, I also well, wanted to, to, to debunk uh, the myths that were not true, such as that Kubrick never spoke to the press and never gave interviews. Right, but right. During my research, I have found more than 300 interviews that Kubrick wow. did. 300? Uh, yeah, and if you Holy know that, cow. Yeah, and with only 13 wow. films to talk about, I would say that it's a pretty big number. So uh, it's not true that uh, we yeah. never talked to the press. <laughs> so I wanted to explore what happened in Kubrick's public <clears throat> image, why people are uh, constantly uh, thinking about him as this mythological, uh, faraway, uh, out-of-touch yeah. director, how it originated. And yeah, that, that, is, that is my, the, the latest uh, thing that, I, that I've written. Well, I have to ask, I mean, this will be the final question about uh, Bordeaux, and then I really just have one more question, but please tell us, uh, it, there will be a publication of the lectures at the conference in Bordeaux? Yeah, hopefully so, because I'm going to submit uh, the written version and extended version of the uh, talk uh, to the uh, university journal. So hopefully, fingers crossed, if they accept it, uh, it yeah. will be published uh, next year. As it happened with Leicester, I mean, I expanded my talk about the uh, unfinished project, and this uh, is about to be published, uh, I think, at the end of November or October. I can't remember. So possibly within a year, you will know the answer of what happened with Kubrick's public persona. Oh, wow. Wow. You're giving us a, a nice tease there for the yeah. listeners and for everybody. <laughs> no, that's great. We, we feed on this stuff, my man. I mean, this is like, that's just great that you're... Uh, uh, even going to share that much uh, uh, with us. I mean, uh, I know that people would pay. I know I certainly would pay hand over fist uh, to, you know, have a publication, a printed, a printed publication of that lecture. Um, 
Awesome. From Boy Genius to Barking Loon, and yeah, absolutely, and and Thanks. other lectures uh, from Bordeaux and Leicester as well. That it's got to be just good business sense yeah, for yeah, them to put that, that out I, there. It's not only my paper that are that are published; it's all the material that the people presented at the conference. Right. So yeah, in uh, in Synergy uh, Journal, you will have the chance of almost be there at Leicester with all these within the academic community and read all ah, the fantastic so cool. uh, work that all the other researchers did. And uh, yeah, it was really, really uh, an, a fantastic experience and a, a very good um, uh, a, a conference. I mean, I, I really have to thank the organizers of these two conferences because they did a terrific job. Mm. And uh, Ian Hunter and James Fenwick for Leicester, and uh, Jean-François Bayon and Vincent Jonas. I don't know if I pronounce their name correctly because I don't know a single word in French. <laughs> but uh, yes, those are, they 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 all did a terrific terrific job. You're obviously very deserving of your uh, unofficial title as one of the leading experts and archivists on all things Stanley Kubrick, my man. You've been so great to join us. Oh, thank uh, you for having me. It's a, It's been a pleasure. I, I really had lots of fun talking to you. And uh, yeah. It, yeah likewise. Pleasure. It, the pleasure's all mine. I mean, it's just to think that uh, I'm getting the chance to uh, interview you and, well, just, you know, have this informal chat. We won't make it sound too official, but... Uh, you know, because I uh, remember uh, messaging with you uh, in yeah. SCAS and Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society. We always yeah. have I'm so very, much I am very fun approachable. <laughs> really, anybody can find me on, on Facebook and, uh, yeah, discuss Kubrick and, uh, yeah, whatever. I mean, it, well, it's always a fun. I mean, I, when I established Archivia Kubrick uh, in 1999, uh, one of the most exciting things was to, and one of also the purposes was to start a conversation with other people who were interested in his films. This is the point of everything that uh, that we do. I mean, even with the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society, the point is discussing and appreciate together and sharing a passion. Uh, so yeah, well, it it really is amazing. I mean. We're we're probably in the same uh, ballpark uh, our age, Filippo, you and me, and uh, mm -hmm. and Stephen, and and to have something like Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society uh, has really been just a joy um, because of how much there is to learn. I've been reading about Kubrick most of my life. I mean. Before my adult life, even I've just always mm -hmm. been very fascinated with him and um, many other things. But of course, but he's a big one. And I guess to say, you know, to have the chance to uh, have this community come together and, you know, all hats off to Stephen Rigg for founding it in 2011, because I know he just started it as a hobby. Uh, as his friend, I know that it was just a hobby. Stephen has many other accomplishments uh, to his name. And, and and to see it grow into this thing whereby we get to chat, man. I mean, you yeah. and, and, and we learn, you know, about mm -hmm. more and more stuff. But then, you know, we have fun. And there's days where certain posts can just be very humorous. And the next thing will be 
holy cow, I never knew that. And incredibly yeah, yeah. insightful. And it's just the perfect balance. So for me to get the chance to chat with you uh, after our first interaction in SCAS, you know, uh, several months ago, it's just been absolutely amazing. And I can't yeah, thank you me, enough. For me as well. No, really, it's, it's been a pleasure. This is the end, my beautiful friends. Thanks to author Filippo Oliviere for another enlightening interview there. We spoke to Filippo on the 29th of September 2017. Filippo's book is called Stanley Kubrick and Me, 30 Years at His Side. The English language version was published in 2016 and of course the original Italian version is also available. The documentary Essays for Stanley, which Filippo co-wrote, is currently available on Italian language DVD and Netflix USA, uh, but promises a wider release. Uh, we'll be speaking to its director, Mr Alex Invescelli, in an upcoming episode. Filippo's website can be found at archiviocubrig.it. A big thanks to Jason Furlong, our host, and my co-conspirator for conducting the interview. This episode we asked who is Stanley Kubrick to a wonderful little girl called Lily and also to Martin at the Georgian Dragon Pub in Barrowford who shared his exhaustive knowledge of Stanley Kubrick with us. Also a big thanks to Mark Lentz for assisting with research for this episode. He's a great guy and is the founder of the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society Meetups in New York. Thanks to James Marinaccio and Jason Furlong for all the hard work that they do at the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society on Facebook. Please leave a comment at SCAS on Facebook or even rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, feedback makes the heart grow stronger and that way we know that we're not just talking to ourselves. This year is the 50th anniversary of 2001 A Space Odyssey and in our next episode we will be talking to Dean Treadway from the brilliant podcast Movie Geeks United about his long-term relationship with the film. We'll now leave you to listen to a special piece of music that Filippo commissioned for the online trailer of his book. The piece is called Beethovenia by Wendy Carlos, arranged and performed by Enrico Ciolini. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Kubrick's Universe and thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Rigg. Tatty bye. Thank you for listening to the Stanley Kubrick Podcast. Come back soon.
It's Kubrick's universe. We just live in it. We have taken very thorough precautions in this podcast against broadcasting anything which might only be attributed to human error.